0: Hello, this is the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod sponsored by Betfair. It's Ali Maxwell and George Ellick here, and we have the intention of recapping the weekend action in the EFL as we do each week. But we will do so with heavy hearts. Earlier today, Blackpool Football Club have announced that after an incident on Saturday, a Blackpool fan named Tony Johnson died earlier today. A statement from Lancashire Constabulary on Sunday said that an incident occurred at around 7pm on Saturday when an altercation broke out outside of a pub. Tony Johnson suffered a serious head injury and has since died. In the immediate aftermath of news like this, none of the football that we're going to talk about today feels like it matters all that much. George, no one should ever go to a football game and not come home.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think you summarised there pretty well how when incidents like this happen, and it is it is rare uh, that it does happen, suddenly the football that took place is pretty irrelevant because for Tony Johnson to go and watch the team that he supports, for there to be an altercation that leads to this is heartbreaking. And, you know, we've spoken about fan behaviour in the last couple of years and how maybe post-COVID there have been issues with fan behaviour and... and You know Anybody who goes to games on a Saturday or midweek looking for trouble, hopefully we may see that behaviour change off the back of this because it's desperately sad, wholly avoidable. And a situation that for Tony Johnson and his family and his friends, it's life-altering for them. So thoughts and prayers with the Blackpool FC family and um, and everyone who, who knew Tony.
0: May Tony Johnson rest in peace and may his family and friends find the support that they will need in this tough time. Over the weekend, there were some pretty remarkable scorelines, probably weighted mostly in the Championship. Let's start with Sunderland 1, Stoke City 5. I mean, this was one that caught the eye pre-game due to the fact that it was Alex Neil returning to the Stadium of Light, where he had what do we call it? A, a dalliance, an affair, uh, a relationship and a, a wonderful start to it with a, a fantastic and much needed promotion. But then uh, a surprise departure to move to Stoke. This game and this scoreline, George, needs some unpacking and I'll let you begin doing so.
1: I think it was an intense love affair, you know, built upon lust and the possibility of what, you know, two people could achieve together in a short space of time. And like all intense love affairs, it came to a pretty fiery end um, with uh, Alex Neil deciding to ditch Sunderland in favour of the sexier, in his point of view, Stoke City. Um, and you know the the fortunes of both sides since he made that, made that decision have suggested that Alex Neal Alex Neil made the wrong decision in terms of uh, choosing his his suitor going forward, but. On this day, um, he he certainly had the last laugh with Stoke putting in a performance, their best performance of the season by miles. I'm going to take credit for it myself, uh, if that's okay, um, and give myself a pat on the back, um, having ranted about how desperately poor they are, how they lack any kind of identity, how regardless of the players who play, Stoke seemed to be unable to put in the kind of performance that we saw them exactly put in on Saturday at the Stadium of Light. Um, Whether or not the situation around Neil played a part my hunch would be that it probably did I think when you are when you're a team like Stoke who currently have no aspirations of promotion who are not going to get sucked into a relegation battle um, you need some kind of you know some influence that is going to get you up for a game like this and I've got no doubt that the players very much wanted to spoil the the party of Sunderland, lording it over their former manager and Alex Neil, and they did so incredibly comfortably as well. It was, you know, it was it was the poorest performance we've seen from Sunderland for a long time. I, I personally did, didn't see this coming, let alone against Stoke, a side who, who struggled to score so often. Josh Laurent getting his his um, third goal in in his last two games. Um, Will Smallbone with three assists, playing in number ten. Dwight Gale, who's been a massive disappointment since um, joining the club um, proves that you know he has still got the ability at this level to score goals with two finishes before running to the corner you know the former Newcastle man in front of the Sunderland fans this was basically a total and utter nightmare from start to finish for Sunderland who would have been confident going into this game that they were going to, going to be able to look to lord it over Alex Neil, and instead he's come and he's pulled their pants down and he's put a big dent in their playoff ambitions this
0: season. An incredible afternoon in that away end for, for the Stoke fans. Can we talk about that second Will Smallbone assist where he's scampering forward, to all intents and purposes, 1v1 with the goalkeeper. And you're wondering at what point he might actually look up and <laughs> and, and look to maybe try and finish past the keeper. And instead, he has seen Tyrese Campbell, who I don't think is even in camera shot, and he just slides it across so crisply uh, onto the unrushing Campbell to tap into the empty net. And it was such a good performance from Smallbone. Set up Lawrence first, Bursting forward from midfield, getting beyond and towards the byline before cutting it back. Those sorts of runs are so difficult to defend against. Uh, and any central midfielder that can you know, make a hobby out of timing runs like that, providing that penetration and good delivery uh, is going to be someone that finds success. And let's just whisper the fact that having started quite a lot of games in the last five months after a big old injury, we appear to be getting back to Tyrese Campbell levels mm. Of Tyrese Campbell the second goal in particular um, a, a sort of curling right-footed snapshot with his weaker foot finding perfectly the bottom corner that's what we came to love from him a couple of years ago that's what we hope to see again um, Stoke have now won one then lost one then won one then lost one and then won one so we'll see what that sequence chucks up next. Their, their underlying numbers have improved a lot recently, in particular defensively. Neil seems to have established, even aside from scoring five goals here, something of a better defensive structure and a more consistent defensive performance. I noticed that Ben Pearson has very much made that defensive midfield spot his own dislodged Lewis Baker who hasn't started the last couple of of league games which would have been a surprise a couple of months ago. So it's now a pretty settled uh, Pearson and Smallbone midfield too. Laurent ahead of them, um, Brown on the right, Campbell on the left and and Dwight Gale up top and uh, it's working at the moment. So any potential really for, for Stoke to finish the season with something approaching a smile on the faces of staff and fans, with something approaching hope for next season that would be seen as a victory and I guess a a glimpse here of what could be maybe could be but a long way to go as for Sandlin that's three defeats in a row the playoffs getting further and further away for them at the moment Uh, at the top of the table a game between Blackpool and Burnley that finished nil-nil that will never be remembered for the match itself. Um, But a point for Blackpool, which on paper is a very, very strong point, um, but due to results elsewhere that we'll discuss in just a second, actually find themselves further from safety that they did at the start of the weekend. Uh, George, that takes us on to the the big match of the weekend, the big match preview on our YouTube channel was Blackburn against Sheffield United. Both teams had won in midweek against Premier League opposition to set up a, an FA Cup quarterfinal tie against each other, which means that one of these teams will play at Wemby. There will be a championship team in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. <laughs> and we wondered how this one would go. We both got it wrong. Yeah, we did. Um, both of us put Sheffield United
1: forward as the likely winners of this one. I think that there's some interest to me that we saw most of the teams who played midweek in the FA Cup put in performances not necessarily at their the level we'd expect for them this season. Whether that was Burnley, who you mentioned a second ago, played against Blackpool, or in League One, but we'll talk about Fleetwood a bit later on. And and this did have slightly the feeling to me of two teams who were. Fairly leggy, but there's no denying that Blackburn, in my mind, deserved their win, and a couple of individuals certainly really impressed. You know, Pickering who scored the goal after five minutes, but Tyree Sterling made the goal, and Tyree Stolen is a player that you and I have been very keen on for a long time. He's featured on our on our 21 under 21 lists for the the two seasons that we've done it, and I would say he's one of the few where it's done. You know, his his inclusion, and we we debated his inclusion quite heavily this year because there's no denying he hadn't really kicked on from the first year. It was based on flashes and potential rather than necessarily week-in, week-out performances. But it does feel to me now like Tyrese Stolen is starting to show consistently just how good a player he is. Now, you know, the, the assist for this one was by no means an amazing assist. The defensive shape um, between Egan and Basham was incredibly poor. For some reason, I've said it before, Sheffield United's defensive shape on the road it's so different to a Bremer Lane where teams seem able to create chances so easily against him. I can't really work out why that is, um, if there's any logical reason to it or if it's just a, a bit of a quirk. But, you know, Tyrese Dolan was able to hold onto the board and, and roll it through to Pickering, who, um, who fired home a pretty rare goal with a decent finish. But Dolan was just, in, in my mind, the best player on the pitch by some way. He hit the woodwork. His running was a constant threat into Sheffield United. He's one of those players that I love where he's really devastated on the counter-attack, but he's a good enough footballer and a tidy enough footballer to play in a possession-heavy team and beat players standing up as well, which isn't necessarily something you see that often at a championship level. Smoddick's inside him at the number 10. nearly scored one incredible goal. He's been a massive part of this good form that we've seen from Blackburn recently. And then Buckley and Travis won the midfield battle, in my mind, against Berger, Norwood and Fleck, which is saying something. So... I mean, yes, Sheffield United had chances. Chris Basham nearly scored the goal of the season with a slaloming run straight through the middle of the pitch, taking the overlapping centre-back to a whole new extreme uh, before fluffing the finish. Um, but I think Blackburn were good value for this. I think Blackburn, in this run of wins, are putting in performances way above what we saw early on in the season in their good form. And you know, having basically spent the whole season anticipating waiting predicting for Blackburn to fall away their current run of form and the performances going alongside it makes me wonder and and being done with Dolan at the four with Smoddix at the four you know Smoddix, Thomas, Dolan and Gallagher who are the four playing up front at the moment none of those four players were playing consistently for them starting games consistently for them two months ago so it's basically a whole new attacking lineup and it is better and Ben Ben Britton Diaz, I don't think he's going to get a look in for the time being because that front four, for whatever reason, seems to be
0: working. They are electric on the counter attack. You know, it was a Sheffield United set piece that their goal came from, um, but within what ten seconds of winning the ball, it was in Sheffield United's net. Leicester found out to their detriment as well that in moments of transition, when Black when Blackburn get it right, they are absolutely deadly. The last thing to say, George, is that uh, we kind of mused on that video about whether if you were a Blackburn or a Sheffield United fan given that this was quite a big match between second and fourth if if I was a genie that could guarantee you a win in one of the games the league game or the FA Cup quarter final, which one would you take as your guaranteed win and almost all the Sheffield United fans said they wanted the league win not the cup win and almost all the Blackburn fans said they wanted the cup win and a trip to Wembley and that's why you can't have genies in football because (laughs) Sheffield United have not got their three points in the league, but they do host Blackburn uh, in the quarterfinals. So I guess they'll be favourites to progress as well. Uh, it's another lovely wrinkle to this match, and it was a yeah, it was a good, it was an entertaining game despite only one goal in it. Uh, George, quick one. We've got uh, a, a quite an exciting video up on our YouTube channel today. Uh, it's an interview between yourself and Dean Smith. Former manager of Norwich City or of Aston Villa, smudged to his mates of Brentford and Walsall. Well, yeah, you guys got very matey indeed. It looked like you had a bit of fun doing that. He's a lovely man, isn't he? Mm. I
1: think is the is my big learning from the day. Um, yeah, really great to go down to Walsall and spend a couple of hours with Dean, interviewing him ahead of the Papa John's Trophy final, where you know he took Walsall to. The final back in 2014, 15, I think it was, and yeah, chatting to him, uh, courtesy of, of Papa Johnson football manager, about that, uh, about his thoughts on a couple of players that he managed to be playing for Argyle in, in the game against Bolton Wanderers, uh, Barley Mumba, Finna Zaz, um what he thought thinks of Ian Evatt, and uh, Stephen Schumacher in their starts to management. He was very open, he's very personable, um, I really enjoyed chatting to him and um yeah even you as the producer um did a did a fair job on the day as well standing there with the clipboard
0: i'm just a bit confused because i thought your main learning from that day was how cheap the doom bar was at birmingham new street weatherspoon probably that wasn't it <laughs> a real touch There is a competition attached to our video with Dean Smith as well, and it's a pretty fun one. It basically involves playing FM23 and potentially winning some pretty serious prizes, particularly if you're a Bolton Wanderers or Plymouth Argyle fan. Do check it out. For everyone else, the winter update on FM is out now as well, which is always a a good time to start new games with the uh, updated database, including the January transfers. So um, please do go check that out on our YouTube channel, uh, an interview between George Ellick and Dean Smith. George, how about Middlesbrough 5, Reading 0? Let's talk Middlesbrough first. Tuba Akpom, every single week. He was at the double here. He became the first striker, the first Middlesbrough striker, to score 20 league goals in a season since Bernie Slaven in 1990. That's 32 and a half years. Yeah, mate, I was born that year. I mean, I would love to know what the longest a current EFL club has gone without a 20 league goal in a season striker. Because that struck me as a long time, but even mm. in the replies, I saw someone say, like, we haven't had one since 13-12. As everyone knows, you need to find that 20-goal-a-season striker, <laughs> otherwise you cannot do well. <laughs> Simon Banoob tweeted, saying, I'm not sure non-Borough fans can comprehend how weird it is for us to have a striker who kicks the ball into the goal on a regular basis, even when we got promoted the last time, our top goal scorer got eight goals or something like that. I reckon that was Stuani. Stuani? Someone. I think, I reckon it was Stuani. Stuani? my guess uh, what I love about Akpom is he's on a hat trick he didn't take the pen at 5-0 he was on the pitch he'd already taken and scored a pen he was on a hat trick but he let Marcus Force take it instead, and Force looked pretty hungry to do so, having won it uh, as well. Um, we're, we're loving the Akpom story so much this season. I think we've been through it quite a lot. There's some great content about him. Uh, BBC T-Side did an amazing little montage, which was really, really touching, really nice. I just love his interviews as well. He's so open and just seems like such a genuine and uh, genuinely delighted man at the moment. I'd love to get him on the pod for a big old chat. So if anyone knows Chiba Akpom, and has his number, let us know. But it's not just him that's playing well. I mean, Archer didn't score here, which seems kind of crazy for a team to score 5-0 with Cameron Archer playing up front and him not scoring. But it's pretty typical of this Borough team. You know, he was involved in in, in a really nice piece of link play for the third goal. Uh, Ramsey came in and played great, scored two goals here. Basically, whoever starts in the front four, they all seem to link the play. They all seem to score goals. One of them runs in behind, one of them drops in and they change who that is every single attack. They dovetail perfectly and they seem so difficult to defend against, uh, as Reading found here. Now, I think it's fair to say that Reading didn't appear to put up much of a fight. A lot of Borough fans saying that they're the worst team that they've seen at the Riverside this season. A lot of Reading fans making the long trip up to the northeast, feeling pretty shortchanged by the performance of the team, uh, the, the quotes from the manager afterwards, not for the first time in the last month or so. Uh, and it's a really, really difficult time, George. This points deduction that we spoke about last week still yet to be confirmed officially, but was referenced by Paul Ince in his pre-match. The specific details are still up in the air here. I think everyone knows Reading have already had one-point seduction last season. I think everyone knows they've been set very strict conditions like a business plan to follow from the EFL since that last one while the six points have been suspended up to this point. I guess what's really important to find out, particularly for the fans who are wondering really who they should be most upset with, is have those that run the club failed to comply knowingly with the regulations or has the state that they've been in thanks to historical overspending and poor management of the business meant that they were just unable to comply. And I think that the specifics of that are quite important in order to really kind of judge how fair or otherwise um, this extra six points will be. In terms of the the season itself, well, if it is confirmed, it'll put them on 38 points. That'll be level with Cardiff. Cardiff are the team just above the relegation zone. But there is a six point gap between Cardiff and Blackpool and would be a six point gap between Reading and Blackpool and Wigan. Tim DeLore on BBC Sport reminded me that last time this happened, Reading's form dipped to nearly disastrous levels. They avoided relegation, but they went from cruising along in 16th at 1.3 points per game down to 19th and then dropped to 21st. And the team went from being hungry, ambitious and happy to disjointed, rudderless and flat almost overnight. Now, I don't want to overreact to a heavy defeat away at one of the league's best teams, but those words are pretty scary um, after their deduction last season Reading picked up just six points from their subsequent 13 games and if they take six points from their last 13 games this season that'll mean 44 points so bit up in the air really really difficult times and and basically for the first time all season whether this is is just bad timing or whether it's linked to what's happening it actually feels like there's a bit of fractiousness and and some divides being created between the the manager and the fan base as as well and and that's just not going to help at all. Middlesbrough 5, Reading 0. George Luton 1, Swansea 0. I I feel like I've spoken a fair bit about these two teams in recent weeks so what did you make of of this and what do you make of these two teams at the moment?
1: Well, I think Swansea are uh, in a massive rut as it stands right now and there's no other way to really dress that up because they were were second best here. Um, You know, Luton for all of their Impressive performances this season. Their home form is is pretty poor, and I don't think we've seen them take a side apart like this at home at Kenilworth Road under Nathan Jones or or Rob Edwards for a long time. Um, the scoreline might have been one nil. It was a you know as easy a goal as Colin Morris is ever going to score. But the level of dominance um, in pretty much every single aspect to their of their play was was far greater. Um, they were were good at preventing Swansea from doing Swansea's thing. But having said that, you know Swansea's possession at the moment is fairly stale Um, it's hard to really put your finger on what is going wrong I I still have very much of the belief that Russell Martin is a a very very astute possession based coach but you know as you so eloquently pointed out in your post uh, transfer window video on YouTube um, he's being let down by the club at the moment and the club feels like it's in a pretty desperate position Um, you know they've got enough points on the board not to be sucked into the relegation battle but They're fortunate that they have because right now they are certainly one of the worst teams in the division. Uh, And this was yet another example of that. And you wonder what's going to happen because, you know, normally when teams are playing this poorly, you sack the manager. But, I mean, I don't think sacking a a very good young up-and-coming manager in in Russell Martin is going to solve any of their problems. So um, it is, yeah, dire times for them. But for, for Luton, again, it feels like there's one team around kind of March time where we have to say... Anybody who doesn't think Luton's going to finish in the, in the top six... It was Luton last season. Anybody who thinks that Luton aren't going to finish in the top six needs to start taking them seriously because they are, week in, week out, performing as one of the best teams in the division and, and getting the results to go alongside that.
0: Tough run in the next four. Sheffield United away for Luton. Bristol City at home, then Sunderland away... Uh, And then the big one, Watford at home on the 1st of April is going to be absolutely gigantic. Rob Edwards against Watford uh, and already in and of itself, a very, very spicy derby game and one in which Watford won 4-0 in the first game of the season. So that is certainly one to mark your card for. George, how about Millwall 2, Norwich 3? It's consecutive 3-2 scorelines at the den, which seems completely at odds with how Millwall are meant to play. Um, One of them was a 3-2 win against Sheffield United. Now that the 3-2 defeat against Norwich, I should say there was a 1-0 draw with Burnley in the middle there. At Wagner's side winning and replacing Millwall in the playoff places. So um, Gianni Infantino was at this game (laughs) uh, and apparently he left feeling the Brazilian George, thanks to Gabriel Sara's goal, Norwich fans just feeling brilliant.
1: And Let's have a listen to what Gianni Infantino thought of the game. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Imagine. Got a voice note from Gianni. Uh, no, thank you. Um, yeah, a, a big win for Norwich. Um, I think Millwall fans would have come away from this feeling incredibly frustrated that they put in a really good performance uh, at home against the side in the playoff places with them. I, I wouldn't say this was necessarily a worse performance from Millwall compared to the one where they beat Sheffield United by the same scoreline just uh, a week or, or two weeks ago. Um, but on this day, um, a couple of slices of fortune went the way of Norwich with the first goal from Sorensen taking a massive deflection. And then Tom Bradshaw diverting the ball um, past uh, Long uh, from close range as well, d- diverting across in. Nothing lucky at all about the third Norwich goal from Gabriel Sara. Definitely one of the goals of the weekend, maybe one of the finishes um, of the season. I'd like to see a bit closer to see if it does come off his shin. You know, I'm not a big shin man. Um, but certainly the um, the way that he managed to swivel and send it into the top corner, incredibly impressive. So it was, it was, you know, two slices of luck. One moment of real quality that was the difference here um, with Millwall maybe not making the most of their chances. Um, Sam Fleming getting a golden assist, adding to his numbers. Uh, he is... You know, we haven't seen him score too many headed goals this season. He came to the club having registered a lot of assists last season. Um, that was only a second so far. Bradshaw continuing his good form. I didn't see any, anything in the game to suggest that Millwall aren't going to maintain their playoff challenge just on the day things went Norwich's way and, and they continue their really good form under Wagner.
0: Well, Norwich fans loving life under Wagner and particularly loving Gabriel, Sara, Oli... Inwards from NTT20 NT squad writing that he's just a joy to watch at the moment. Uh, really getting very good at being the man to link us through the thirds with an ability to both play passes and receive them under pressure and keep the ball. But obviously, he's also adding some great goals and assists from midfield. His shooting from distance is really thunderbastardy great word Uh, and he has a great knack for getting in the box at the right time a touch of the frank lampards about him Uh, that goal was absolutely brilliant an amazing alternative angle uh, available that you can find on our social media at ntt20pod on twitter not the top not the top content easy for you to say goes from uh, strength to strength every sunday makes me very very happy indeed Uh, Huddersfield nil Coventry four Oh George, this was your nap on the betting show uh, and for those who don't listen to the betting show a big chunk of it was about Huddersfield and and your perception that Neil Warnock hasn't really changed very much there. Well, this was a little bit of evidence so that may well be the case.
1: Yeah, Neil Warnock said after the game at Coventry the best team he'd seen in the Championship <laughs> in twenty five. <laughs> yeah, I mean this? it was less dominant and the Burnley's display some moments of real quality. You know, Gioch, I mentioned how you know, Burnley's best players were able to to cut through um, Huddersfield at will. Geok is one of the best players in the Championship and he had exactly the same experience. Um, I'm sure Neil Warnock will be incredibly frustrated that Michael Helix. um sloppy play in possession led to the first goal and from there, there was no real coming back. Um, yeah, I think Huddersfield are, are destined, you know, if, if Warnock can pull this off, then fair play because they are, abject right now they are cut adrift to the bottom of the championship I don't think he's got the tools necessary to to keep them up I think we're probably going to see both both Mick McCarthy and Neil Warnock get relegated in the same season and maybe that'll coax through something at the end of an era because um I mean it's not their fault they took on jobs where that was looking likely anyway but um yeah they were um Poor Coventry, resounding victory, uh, and they continue to edge closer and closer to that top
0: six. Wow, this was all about Coventry's striker, wasn't it? Tyler Walker, scoring his first goal for them since October 2021. Uh, I thought I was going to get a laugh out of you there, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. I'll take it. His first goal since scoring for Portsmouth against Crew at uh, 363 days ago. His first goal for Coventry since October 2021. And and if he could provide a couple more off-the-bench cameos, that could be quite important for Coventry, who's the well, next three months look like they might be getting busier and busier because they're in such good form at the moment. They are churning out the wins. They're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. I think, George, in Gjokeresh and also in Harmer, You just have two of the best and the most consistent players in the league. And I don't want to talk about the best word. I want to talk about the second word, consistent. Because I think over the course of any given season, you and I get told about 50 players are the best player in their position in the league from fans of their clubs and and sometimes it's just off the back of one good game and sometimes it's off the back of a, a strong month let's say and then quite often three months later you're not hearing that much about them and sometimes you're even starting to see the, the very same fans that were lording them saying they're not good enough and that you know they need to be dropped or something like that quite often. If you have a particularly good month or so, it may be the case that you'll struggle to maintain that performance level and quite often to maintain the physical output. That's what's insane about Gyokeres and Harma. Aside from all the technical quality, all the goals and the assists, is their physical capacity and capability. And I think we probably, don't talk about this enough as an important attribute, an important part of an EFL player's skill set. So Harmer this season has missed only four games and all four were for suspension, which is wonderfully on-brand. They were all in the first two months of the season. Victor Gyokresh has started every single league game this season bar one. And that game was their eighth game in the month of October. During their big backlog, after having a couple of their early games postponed, they played eight league games in October. And in the eighth, on the eighth day, Giocares rested. He started on the bench. They lost that game against Rotherham. And this is why, when we do Teams of the Season, like we did for our, our mid-season Teams of the Season videos on YouTube, this stuff is why I put so much more importance than seemingly everyone else on pure minutes played as an important and a weighty statistic on starts, on percentage of total minutes played, essentially on availability because the whole thing about these leagues is that they are a massive slog. They are a huge drain on the bodies of the players and we're constantly being told that by those within the game and also on the minds of the players as well to stay at a high and consistent performance level. So give me the guys that have played 90% of the minutes in a season any day over those who have had a really eye-catching and memorable three months and then the season ends and you realise they've played like two-thirds of the available minutes that's no good to me if I'm gonna if I if I want us if I want my team to achieve our goals I don't want players that are only going to be available for two-thirds of the minutes and of course you can't slag people off for getting injured that's not really my point but I just think availability minutes played should be talked about more and taken more seriously when we're judging the quality of players so that's end of my first rant when it comes to Coventry City my second is more of a eulogy because today George we celebrate six years of Mark Robbins Coventry City manager and I think it's one of the the things that I am most happy and ready to celebrate because when Mark Robbins was appointed they were bottom of league one they were 13 points from safety with two months of the season left one month later they won at Wembley they beat Oxford United in the EFL trophy they still got relegated but they had that day out Coventry were then in the fourth tier for their first time in over 50 years. And in that first season, they make the playoffs, they win the playoffs. They bounce straight back up. In doing so, they record the club's first top six finish in 48 years, their first promotion in 51 years, and somehow their most points ever in a season. First season in League One, straight into eighth place, straight into playoff contention, didn't quite make it, but a really, really strong start. Bad news I'm afraid Mark Robbins. We're going to move away from Coventry again. We're going to ground share at St Andrews in Birmingham for 2 years, a stadium with no connection to the fans in another city. Not ideal. Don't you worry about that says Mark Robbins. I'll just win the league, shall I? That's what I'll do. I'll win the league here. Didn't lose a game until mid-December in 2019-20. They lost only three of 34 games before COVID hit. Only three of 34. They won the league. They're back in the championship. First season back in the champ. Still playing at St Andrews. Still playing outside of their hometown. That'll be tough. Not really. 16th place. Cheers. Thanks very much. We'll see you again next season. Next season, 12th place. Top half. Lovely. Back at the Rico. Making connections again. Enjoying Victor Giochoresh, Gus Harmer and a few others. And now we sit six years in, eighth place in the championship, three points off the playoffs. And let's not forget, shall we, that the start of this season was a write off. They couldn't even play some of their matches because their home stadium wasn't fit to do so. So, Mark Robbins, because we don't think we've made it hard enough for you, we're going to make you start off with seven of your first nine games away from home. Is that okay? Not ideal, says Mark but fine. We'll start making up the ground from mid-October onwards. We'll crack out 1.8 points per game over 25 games to give ourselves a good look at those playoffs. It's absolutely amazing. This sort of constant improvement, George, season on season, is highly, highly improbable. It, It does happen, and Luton Town are a great example. A couple of places higher than Coventry right now, but it is highly improbable, and it is absolutely the sort of thing that we should celebrate when we can
1: couldn't agree with you more he's done an an incredible job there and I think often when uh, you know Coventry now established within the championship people easily forget that the rise started in league two Uh, I think the same can be said of of Luton um, where it's almost like that is cast aside and and forgotten about uh, because it's been so long before but when the same management manager is in charge when you've got players who have stayed at the club for for the majority of that journey as well, um, you've got to acknowledge it. So, yeah, I mean, he is doing an incredible job. And it is is so strange in my mind, especially when you consider that he was a top-flight footballer who came through at Manchester United, how it just feels like Coventry incredibly safe with him in charge. It doesn't feel like he's ever going to be approached. You know, Nathan Jones has twice been taken from Luton. I don't think Mark Robbins has ever been linked to a job in the Premier League or at the top end of the Championship, which I, I don't know why that is. I, I cannot work it out for me. And even when you look back at his previous, you know, he, maybe it's, be, it's because he was a, a fairly run of the mill league one manager before Coventry in terms of his CV. He did good jobs elsewhere. He, he had success. So yeah, I mean, he is a. Um, you know, when we talk about managers in, in the period doing the podcast who've done the best jobs, you know, clearly Jones Ainsworth. You know, Robbins are probably the three that come to mind because um, it's incredible what he's managed to do there.
0: The leadership shown, the, the squad management and the motivational aspect of that, keeping people happy while also adding the odd new player here and there, the, the tweaking of systems and strategies. I remember them moving to the three at the back, to the box midfield, and it and it helped kickstart their promotion push in League One. Hats off, Mark Robbins. A pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Uh, George, on Friday night, Hull City beat West Brom 2-0
1: they did yeah west brom um really struggling on the roads and this this game didn't look like a west brom game and didn't look like a, a hull game recently hull who have been employing a, a really possession heavy style of football basically didn't have the ball all game um scored with a counter attack and then a and then a set piece goal in the second half west brom who are basically bottom of every single pressing metric um since carlos corbrand came in were aggressive off the ball they looked to dominate possession they had loads of the ball and yet did very little with it, because in my mind, the players they've got, Jed Wallace, Daryl Dike, these are players who, John Swift, are absolute experts at exploiting space in front of them. So when they're camped in the, in, in Hals half, when you've got, you know, I think it was Malumbi and, um, and Yokshulu basically just dominating the midfield space on the ball, they aren't players who are particularly creative and it was fairly stale. So, yeah, I mean, this, this looked on the pitch completely different to how I imagined the game would look. Um, for Hull, say, I mean, it, it, it's a great win for them. Uh, my aspirations for them to break into the top six picture. Was, was dealt a couple, you know, they were dealt a couple of big blows prior to this game. I guess this keeps them kind of in touch. Where if they can go on some crazy winning run, they'd break into it, but it's looking very unlikely now. But for West Brom, this is incredibly damaging. You know, there's not much between these two sides now. And if I'm sitting here saying Hull can't do it, then then why are we sitting here saying that West Brom can?
0: Mm. Carl Darlow with a, a big, big performance in goal uh, made at least five or six saves uh, at the right time. But what a goal from Tete! Uh, I. Definitely one where you just shout, you just shout, "Wow!" when it goes in. It's nowhere like on the swivel, left side of the box, perfectly into the far top corner. Tete's first goal for Hull after 750 minutes uh, of action. Uh, fairly damaging for Baggy's playoff hopes. George, they got a bit of ground to make up on the pitch. Um, what about off it?
1: Yeah, I, I, I... comunicado Oficial. Uh, this is a, an official apology to Baggies fans because um, last week I kind of flippantly said uh, that things weren't looking great off the pitch or something like that and murmurings of discontent or something. You know, we say a lot of words on this podcast and sometimes we don't nail what we say um, and that isn't, you know, that's not me trying to wriggle out of it. I am sorry for downplaying what has been Um, what is a much graver issue than that. And it's certainly mine and Ali's responsibility um, that comes with doing this podcast to make sure that we represent fans effectively and well, especially when it comes to fans' concerns. I feel like we did that fairly well last season with both Derby County and Birmingham City. So for me to make an offhand remark about and and seemingly um, play down the situation that Baggies are in wasn't good. I mean, to, to clarify to those who don't know, we've got two fairly significant issues here. The main one of is which came to light in January was that West Brom have taken a, a £20 million loan um, from MSD Holdings uh, to secure the club's progress and infrastructure moving forward. So basically needing to take out a massive loan uh, in order to help with the running costs and the day-to-day costs of the club. That is quite clearly really troubling and especially when you take into account that it was MSD who Derby County owed money to in their plight a couple of years ago. Therefore, the promotion, you know, Baggies needing promotion in order to fill what is quite clearly a massive revenue hole is, is a very important big deal. And the second fact is that their owner, Guo Chan-Lei, took a £5 million loan out of the club, which was left to quite a big hole. And back in January, you had Rongole um assuring fans that they you know they were expecting the money to come in fairly soon, but hadn't as of yet. So not only are there issues within the actual financial position of the club, but also both stories don't necessarily lend support to the idea that West Brom were in the best hands when it comes to the ownership. So, yeah, apologies to baggies and, you know, this is something we'll be following closely and we'll ensure that if and when things um, develop, we'll be on top of it.
0: The most significant points near the bottom of the table, George, were picked up by Cardiff and Rotherham. Cardiff City beating Bristol City 2-0. Feels like the Cardiff fans have been constantly punched in the face in derby matches against Swansea and occasionally against these games against Bristol City which take on a pretty big significance uh, as well. So uh, a pleasing day George for Sabri Ramucci's Cardiff. Three wins in four now. They're six points clear and how about that header from Cabba for the first goal? Is it too late now to say sorry has been a good January signing?
1: definitely not i tell i it's probably too early wow yeah but justin Bieber <laughs>
0: didn't say that I did know. he? only there's only the sixth time this season that cardiff has scored more than one goal in a league game um and it was philogene with the second it's probably a, a, a long range shot that shouldn't go in if we're really uh, picking holes in the in the goalkeeper um but uh, but yeah a, a huge 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 win and lamucci is coaxing a couple of extra wins out of Cardiff City and that's what they needed to build this gap between themselves and the relegation zone. There is still a long way to go. They do not look perfect. There are still big question marks and qualms about the, the sustainability of the goals, um, but it's a positive weekend for Cardiff City, uh, although ended on a, a sour note for them, quite a funny note. Uh, the goalkeeper's red card, also was yeah probably the comedy moment of the weekend in the championship, I'd say, as, the, as he rushed out uh, to, to defend the bouncing ball. Two of his defenders were rushing straight towards him. One of them just headed it like into his arms. Oops, red card. Uh, and how about Rotherham 3QPR1? George, I'm really loving the Millers at the moment. I think, you know, a fair few teething issues during the initial warn-to-Taylor transition pointed out regularly on this podcast. But this current Miller side have plenty about them, and we've seen it this week. Yeah, way more attacking threat after the
1: transfers in uh, in January. Jordan Hugel getting the important opener here. Some good work from Old Bene. Um, they look like a constant threat, to be honest. And we, we know that QPR are in the midst of a terrible run of form. No signs as of yet that Gareth Ainsworth um, has been able to improve that. Um, they're probably the team right now. Where if you're looking at, you know, if you're one of the three teams in the drop zone, it's not Rotherham, it's not Card. If you're looking to chase down, it's QPR because they are the team who are basically just are not picking up points at all. Um, Hugo got the second and then uh, Adolphin got the third um, after yeah after uh, a penalty from, from Lowe uh, got QPR back into it. There wasn't too much to be positive about from QPR's point of view in my mind. Apart from the penalty, they didn't create a great deal. There wasn't really much in terms of discernible style of play. Um, this is all about Rotherham. in, in what was basically relegation six-pointer, because whilst neither of them are likely to go down, um, the winner of this was always going to put themselves um, above the other in terms of, of, of that chasing pack. So a really significant win. And I agree with you where now I think we're starting to see what Matt Taylor's Rotherham could be all about. And, and I do think even though he took over Rotherham when they were, um, I think, eighth in the championship it was early in the season and I strongly believe, especially because the performances got so bad for a while, if Matt Taylor keeps him up, that is an incredibly well done job for him. Um, coming into a, you know, taking on, never easy to take on um, a job after somebody who's had such a long spell and so much success at a club, especially one like Paul Warren where there is such a discernible style of play and such an obvious blueprint to how he wants his team to play. Um, so for Taylor to come in oversee a really tricky period and improve things the way that he is. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's really impressive and it shows that there's probably a, a smart bit of recruitment from um,
0: from Rotherham to bring him in. Yeah, Matt on NTT 20 Squad absolutely buzzing with fossu and with jordan hugo he said i have no idea how or why Tarek fossu is playing for us the bloke is on a level quite frankly i'm just not used to seeing in a rotherham shirt he's so so good with the ball at his feet and he showed that releasing Ogbene, uh, who squared for hugels for the first goal uh, matt went on to say second i can see why jordan Hugo didn't work at other clubs and i can understand why those fans wouldn't like him but wow if you could handcraft a rotherham united player it'd look a lot like him honest hard-working and up for a fight. Yesterday felt like a real starting point where we fell in love with him and him, us. Very, very sweet indeed. And I must admit, yeah, both of those signings leapt off the page for us, didn't it, didn't they, and in January at the end of the window? And it's it's an owner in Tony Stewart that has copped quite a lot of flack over the years for not opening his wallet and showing ambition in previous championship seasons. But you cannot level that at him right now. As for QPR, well, growing Hull City 2019-20 vibes from them. Um some of those players need to stand up and take some responsibility on the pitch at some point. Um, whether they will or not, we'll decide whether they ease away from it. Uh, and, and all of these relegation fears could end up looking, you know, a bit over the top in a couple of weeks. Or, yeah. Hull 1920. That's the that's the bad example. That's the bad side of the coin. Uh, Watford nil. Preston nil. One shot total in the first 50 minutes from Watford. They didn't start this one well, and their fans are getting a little bit restless about that fact. They did warm up a little bit, but not enough to win it. And Wigan one. Birmingham one. Down at the bottom, a point that I don't think massively. Sates the appetite of either side here. Uh, A lovely free kick from Bakuna, uh, cancelled out by Ashley Fletcher and then Scott Hogan missing a penalty in the second half. Work to do for both of those teams over the next few games. In League One, George, Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth and Ipswich all won at home. For Wednesday, it was a 1-0 win against Peterborough and this win combined with Burnley's draw means that they now have a better PPG than Burnley. George, Sheffield Wednesday officially the EFL's number one points getters. And that's the real title race, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, it
1: is. um, PPG champions, you'll never (laughs) sing that. Uh, This was interesting where Peterborough under Darren Ferguson, you know, what do you think of? You think of goals, don't you? Um, And I think you think of of, of Peterborough goals generally, even a couple of weeks, or was it last weekend or midweek? We saw them have that. Ridiculous game with Plymouth Argyle. You know, you think they basically hire managers and two things are are required. One is to achieve and two is to play attacking football. Posh went to Sheffield Wednesday and only had three shots in the game. Those three shots amounted to an XG of 0.06. So even though the goal itself came from from a, um, a Nathan Thompson own goal, don't mistake that for being a fortunate win because even though they didn't create loads of chances um Sheffer Wednesday restricted Peterborough to absolutely nothing two of the strikes came from 35 yards as well um this was a as a, a kind of home performance where it's just a matter of it's just a case of if we score we win if we don't then you know we're going to come away with a point because we've restricted the opposition to nothing and that's going to be why I think Sheffield Wednesday go on and probably win the league by by quite a fair distance because even when they're not playing particularly well they are so robust and so solid. Darren Moore has has just I think he deserves a lot of credit as well. You know we talk about Robins in the in the Championship section we have to remember here that a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans were not happy with Darren Moore um, after the relegation. They were not happy last season when they struggled to mount a promotion challenge. And, you know, we we don't give um, Chan Seary too much credit too often, but the decision makers at Sheffield Wednesday um, sticking to their guns and not not doing what most EFL clubs do, especially of that size where you react to a lack of achievement in a short space of time by sacking the manager. They kept the faith in Moore and... And wow, as he repaid them? Because um, you know, he's gone in my mind from being a manager who was clearly a very nice guy to suddenly you're thinking, right? Well, this is this is someone who could, someone who could clearly go somewhere. Yes, the football might not be the easiest on the eye, but it's not like they they lack for goals. Um, so yeah, this was without being flashy, as dominant a one 0 win as you're going to see. And someone at a 1-0 win with an own goal, is you're going to see, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it was Jaden Brown's cross that was deflected in by Thompson. But as far as I'm concerned, that goal is Barry Bannon's goal. Threading the perfect ball through to release Brown down the flank. Uh, it, it's so normal now with Bannon that it, it might not seem remarkable. But I promise you, that sort of pass, the vision and the execution, just like the geometry of it all, that's not normal. And there are not many players at this level, uh, probably less than... Uh, I can count on one hand that have it. Um, and that was the, the the thing that unlocked Posh's defence once and for all. That means, to update the stats that I read out on the betting show, George, that away from home this season, Peterborough have played six of the nine teams in the in the bottom nine and they've won all six of them. And they've played ten teams that are in the top half and they've lost all ten of them. And I think that just sums them up. When things are comfortable, they're pretty good at tucking teams away. When things get a little bit harder... They're not up for the challenge. Uh, Plymouth, 2. Charlton, 0. They're still up for the challenge, George, even after being thumped by Peterborough United last week. I loved this first goal. Eight seconds into the second half, Ryan Hardy pressing the centre-back, charging down the centre-back, running onto the ball that had come off him and looped up in the air... The speed to get on the end of it, the first touch to bring it down, and then the the composure and the technical quality to lift it over the goalkeeper. It put Argyle 1-0 up. Charlton offering very, very little. Um, George Charlton haven't scored in over seven hours in the league. They're they're back down in 16th, and that initial bounce, well and truly gone, as you have detailed yourself over the last few weeks. They have had some pretty tough fixtures, um, but even so, uh, really, really, poor few results and performances for Charlton uh, Argyle scoring the second on the break through Niall Ennis uh, and Ipswich for Burton nil just the usual Ipswich town result George against bottom six league one teams at Portman Road
1: yes they um when they're able to put the ball in the back of the net especially early in games they normally tend to um yeah to put a few pass teams and, and I think Burton might feel a little bit aggrieved here um as to not kind of registering themselves it wasn't like this was it wasn't like the Sheffield Wednesday posh game where they had nothing but and it won't feel like they played poorly enough to, to lose the game 4-0 but some moments of quality especially from Connor Chaplin who uh, got a brace got an assist as well uh, for Nathan Broadhead frustration for me as Leif Davis was just waiting behind Broadhead, Broadhead to knock it home for the um, betting show in behind um, but yeah four it up after 69 minutes job done uh, lovely frustration for Ipswich that Um, Argyle didn't drop points at home to in that game against Charlton that you were just talking about a second ago Um, because you know they're in a position now where they need uh, with five points back from Plymouth Argyle the same amount of games played they are um, they need Argyle to start dropping points but it does feel now again like I mean it's hard because because Barnsley have those games in hand and if they win those games in hand they'll be level on points with Ipswich but in my mind having kind of thought we were going to be two from three it then suddenly opened up into maybe the whole top six having a, a, a shout at getting automatic promotion it now feels likely to, for me again that if you know that if Plymouth do get chased down it probably will be Ipswich who will do it Um but you know that might change again next week the way that these things go
0: well it keeps us talking they've got the league's joint second top goal scorer now up switch Connor chaplin scored a brace here he's got 16 league goals now he's joint second with david mcgoldrick um they're a couple behind johnson clark harris you take out penalties uh, and he's joint top with aaron collins so jch's tally being heavily boosted by those uh, lovely free shots at goal um Five braces for Chaplin is quite interesting. A bit like McGoldrick, who's got those two uh, hat tricks. A bit like Tom Bradshaw, we spoke about last week, who's got two hat tricks and it really boosts the numbers. Uh, Chaplin has got 16 goals and uh, f- and ten of them have come in in five separate games. He's like a like a three point shooter in the NBA that gets really hot after making one three pointer and then goes on a goes on a hot streak. The the Kyle Corver of League One, I think I'd probably say, or maybe the the J R Smith of Suffolk, which for Any NBA followers probably shows which era I was really, really into the NBA. Um, Bizarrely, George, none of the six teams beneath the top three won. Hence why the gaps opened up a little bit there. Um, The next team to win was Portsmouth, who went to Cambridge and won 1-0. And they basically gave Cambridge 45 minutes of grace here. They went, look guys. We recognise this game is probably more important to you than it is for us. So in the first 45 minutes, we won't have a single shot, okay? See what you can do. We won't have a shot. See if you can score any goals. But they didn't. Didn't score any goals. Sam Smith in particular, quite wasteful. Uh, And then in the second half, Portsmouth were like, right, you've had your grace period. We're going to start playing now. Um, Brilliant, brilliant header from Colby Bishop, uh, which, which could spell the last rights for Cambridge United, George.
1: Yeah, it could do. Um, you know, that there are enough teams down towards the bottom of League One that a couple of wins makes things look better straight away. Um, you know, you've still got Accrington, Burton, Cheltenham uh, and Oxford, who, you know, despite Cheltenham and Accrington winning this weekend, uh, both home wins against two of the poorest teams, probably the poorest teams in the, in the division right now, which we'll get onto in a second. Um, you know Cambridge have a bit of a bridge to gap but it's only six points and and it does feel to me like they have the potential and possibility to do it you know they have two massive games this week Cambridge where they host Morecambe tomorrow night Tuesday night I mean they have to win that there's no two ways about it if they are going to stay up this season they have to beat a team who are embroiled in the same relegation battle as them at home Um, and then they go to MK Dons and you have to say the same thing six points from those two games would. Make the the season or the the task of staying up look um a lot easier, a lot more possible. And and I, again, I think they were okay against Pompey. I, I you know Pompey didn't create much on in, in the game. Cambridge had their own chances, as you said early on. They were the better team at nil nil. Um, and there have been a few occasions recently where it's felt like Cambridge have, have been the better t- the better side, or created the better chances and come away with nothing. So I'm not writing them off yet. Um, I think they they. Just have a week for for Mark Bonner this week in terms of his managerial career is going to be huge because yeah, a couple of defeats, that's probably curtains on the season and possibly curtains for him at Cambridge as well.
0: Whereas John Massinho at Pompey's now got 20 points from his 10 league games. Uh, A very, very impressive start for him. It did remind me a little bit of February and March last year where Pompey, under the Cowleys, cracked out six wins out of seven. When they didn't have a huge amount riding on the on the season, um, I think as we know, and as the Cowleys found out, the hard work starts after final day and well into next season, but done so so well Moussinho to buy himself time and credit because there wasn't a lot in the bank to start with you might remember that a portion of the fan base I won't say the majority a portion of the fan base were quite keen to push the narrative that Moussinho was the cheap option that their, their owners didn't want to spend any money and therefore had told director of football Rich Hughes to get the cheapest manager that they could find and and that was the, the guy that was well had to retire his playing career to start his managerial career well I think you can Basically, on a, on a blanket level, for any club and any managerial appointment, I think you can say that using the phrase the cheap option is generally a pretty stupid jibe to throw out. Um, and that's certainly been proven the case here because they seem to have got someone very adept at managing Portsmouth Football Club two points per game in his first ten. At George, Lincoln one, Oxford nil. No one will ever beat Lincoln City at home in the league. They are... I d- I disagree. They are unbeatable, George. Them and Burnley, the only unbeaten home teams in England's top four tiers. That includes the Premier League as well. You were there. You've seen them. You've lost to them. You can tell us how they do it.
1: If you look behind the goal where the penalty is scored, you'll see me. Uh, I am standing there. I'm basically the only Oxford fan you can see on my haunches. um, And basically all the actions are at that end. So you can relive my reaction to everything. Um, Yeah, I mean... you've set me up weirdly now because I want to say this I mean I, I think someone will beat Lincoln at home quite soon would be my um, would be my uh, take on things and and credit to them because they they know what they do and they're very good at it you know it is You know, we spoke about Sheffield Wednesday a second ago where Lincoln are incredibly happy to sit on a 1-0 lead and they, and they are good at it Oxford had loads of the ball loads of territory in the second half um, and didn't look particularly threatening maybe a bit more threatening than they had done in games that basically followed this pattern Under Carl robinson uh, Carl rushworth made one unbelievable save a point blank range from gatlin, gatlin Odonker, where you know on the highlights it kind of looks like it hits him but I could, it was right in front of me and he gets across gets his right arm out and manages to sum at such a strong wrist to stop it going in one of the best saves i've seen live in a long time um and he Certainly enjoyed having been given dogs' abuse for the whole second half. Made that save and then turned around and called one of our fans bald. And fair enough, because I think I was team I was team Rushworth. Um, given how yeah bad some of the chat was given by our fans to him during the second half. Um, for Lincoln, you know it was a penalty. There's no denying that Mandry put it away well. Um, there wasn't much between the two. I mean, the first half was was pretty dire as a footballing spectacle. Um, Lincoln made a couple of kind of clearances near, near near the line. But as I say, they went into it um, trying to get the first, first goal but not being particularly expansive. If not, they got the first goal and they sat on that lead. And there's a reason why they are unbeaten at home this season. There's a reason why they are unbeaten at home this season having only scored 16 goals in 17 home games. Or 16 goals in 16 home games. It is an incredible record. It's only their fourth win at home. And I do think that at some stage something's going to give because... Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a particularly good blueprint for for how to to, um, to to pick up points at home. But but all credit to them on the day, and their fans, I was impressed with as well. Um, I thought it was my first visit to the LNER, and even though I came away uh, without anything to cheer or a goal, I still enjoyed the experience. So there you go.
0: Port Vale beat MK Dons one nil, and they love a little one nil comfy home win at Vale Park. Uh, to... Daryl Clark's Port Vale. Uh, Donnelly with his first senior goal. He's on loan from Nottingham Forest. He's sort of instinctive finish to guide what was a uh, David Worrell sh- shot that turned into a cross and um, uh, diverted in by Donnelly. And Vale's performances have been really strong recently. They picked up again, having had a, a sort of mini blip. Uh, they haven't been rewarded for them, particularly against Bolton last weekend. They were excellent uh, and drew and uh, lost, sorry, 2-1. Um, But this is better. This is more like it. Um, I think we we know now that that we can say, basically, however the next 10 games go, Port Vale have have done really well this season, having won promotion through the playoffs in League 2. Daryl Clark has shown himself able to get really good levels out of this team for, for good periods of time. Now, Constantly, And that's the same for, for all those teams in that little clump around 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. You're looking at Lincoln City, Exeter, Port Vale, Fleetwood and Bristol Rovers. They're all separated by two points and all of them have had really strong spells and all of them have had um, spells where they've dropped off a little bit. And, and I guess the trick is when you're managing a team whose budget is going to be towards the bottom end of the division is to make sure that you can muster up those spells when things are getting a bit tricky. Rather than get worse and worse, rather than a flat line, fall off, you, 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 you raise yourself, you rouse yourself rather, and you go again. And that's what Vale have done pretty well. Um, very, very impressive to have, to be 13th, I think, having come up through the League Two playoffs. And, and no luck there either. Their their performances have been good. Their underlying numbers have been sturdy all season. Credit to Daryl Clark and Vale for, for that. Big, big wins at the bottom, George. Big, big wins at the bottom. Firstly for Cheltenham. Who beat Fleetwood 1 0 and that did huge things for their survival hopes, just as things were getting a little bit too nervy for comfort? Um, Aurel Nazmu, we mentioned him last week, uh, works for 21st Group. He does really nice data projections, which at this stage of the season I check every single Monday to work out what was the most impactful or valuable win of the weekend in League One. Well, his model suggests it was Cheltenham's win, improving their chances of survival by 15 points thanks to results results elsewhere.
1: A massive win. And what a goal. I mean, I think that's where we have to start here from from Alfie May. Uh, an unbelievable strike into the far corner. And for a team in Cheltenham who've been so wasted in front of goal this season, um, it feels right that they finally get a 1-0 win where it was a moment of magic from a man who uh, is so important to what they do. And... Um, As I said on the betting show, I think Fleetwood were another side who played a midweek in a pretty gruelling FA Cup game and came away second best. I'm sure that had an impact in terms of their performance level here. They were poor until they were 1-0 down and then they created a couple of chances. Jaden Stockley missing probably the best of those. Um, But we're we're properly in that stage of the season now where, yes, there's a long way to go, but you are having games between teams where, for one, it is a huge game and for the other, it's starting to lose its significance, and that's important. And I think this was definitely one of those.
0: Yeah, I'm always interested in... You, you often bring that up at this stage of the season, and I, I always kind of forget about it. But you're right, it is highly important and, and always worth thinking about when you check the fixtures. You, you get to this point, don't you, George, where you go through a team's fixture list from now to the end of the season to try and work out whether they've got an easy run-in or a tough run-in. And the, the sort of initial logic is to look at the league positions of the teams that they're playing against and think, oh, well, they've got a couple who are in the relegation zone, so that's nice and easy. There's there's an argument. I don't know if it's fully backed up by data, I'll be honest, but there is an argument that games against 14th to 19th are probably the best type of games that you can have at this stage of the season if you are towards the top Mm. or towards the bottom.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I'm sure sure it will be. I mean... it's always hard to quantify, and, and you know these are of course professional footballers who are trying to you know keep their contract for next season, their managers who are trying not to get sacked and fan base you know fans certainly you know I'm sure there are Fleetwood fans well I've, I've never heard of a Fleetwood fan listening to the pod before, but um there probably will be a Fleetwood fan or two listening to this saying, actually sorry no, we we want to win these games, don't just make us sound like we're phoning it in, but there's no denying that when you are a team fighting for your life, when you are a Cheltenham town, having a home game which is just so clearly so important there's going to be a uh, an intangible benefit to that, that that doesn't mean it's just a game between two sides so yes I, I would I would think so but similarly you're going to have teams who react badly to pressure you know we, we've seen Sheffield United in recent weeks in the championship seemingly buckle a little bit in, in, in fairly big games so therefore you could argue is this a good time to play Sheffield United as they're struggling to keep Borough at, at arm's length maybe so As a general point, I think it's right, but I I don't think you can just kind of apply it willy-nilly.
0: Good. Well, big win for Accrington Stanley at home to Forest Green, lifting them out of the relegation zone. Uh, My main feeling watching the highlights here was literally nothing is going for Forest Green, and it feels like that's been the case for the whole season. They start the game well. They're 1-0 up through Pert Harris, who's already missed a good chance as well. They, They have the better chances of the opening salvo. And then just before half time. Oli Casey Oliver Casey rather, who I I do believe was just trying to get to the ball and, and clear it or poke it away, doesn't get there first, and because of the the action and the move that he's made, ends up almost slicing Butler Oyedeji in half and getting sent off down to 10 men. How do they react to that? Can they just get in at half time make some changes and, and tighten up? No they concede a header from the resulting free kick. Uh, it's it's regulation at the goalkeeper doing on the bounce the header from Presley and he just pushes it into the roof of his own net and in the second half Longello who always looks quite lively on the highlights for Accrington. Be interested to see if anyone watches Accrington uh, a little more regularly than me can tell me if he's a, a consistent player or just a highlights player but he's the Brother of the Longello that plays for Birmingham. And he's very, very dribbly. um, Cutting in from the right-hand side, hitting it a left-foot shot again through Doohan into the net. You you wouldn't expect your goalkeeper in an ideal world to let either of those in, let alone both. Uh, It leaves Forest Green 11 points from safety. Uh, Most of the teams around them have games in hand over them as well. There's been no wins under Duncan Ferguson. Uh, Orell's model has a larger than 99% chance of them being relegated. So... That does that does that equate to, one hundred? Well, never say never. You remember Newport's miracle survival under Mike Flynn? I wonder what their sort of highest probability for relegation was at some point in that season. That'd be interesting to know.
1: Great question. Uh, Not
0: sure if we can sort of retrofit models onto seasons from five years ago, but let me get on to Orel. He's a pretty smart guy. Um, (laughs) George Derby two shrews two. Quick one here to throw away a one goal lead can be misfortunate to throw away a two-goal lead. Well, that's just careless, to paraphrase Oscar Wilde.
1: Misfortunate? Yep. (laughs) Are we we regressing positively again?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that annoyed me, that. Because, yeah, anyway. Derby drew with Shrewsbury, mate. Yeah, they did, yeah.
1: It's a draw, though. Why do we care? Um, Yeah, Derby took a two-goal lead, and deservedly so. And it was a familiar story with two set pieces um, getting Shrewsbury an all-important three points a brilliant free kick well a good free kick from Bayless even though uh, Will Smith will feel like he should have saved it and then a penalty tucked away by Luke Leahy Um, you know Steve Cottrell is is a master at this finding ways to um, bridge a quality gap the set pieces is certainly one of those uh, and that's how they, they got a, a really big point. A brilliant away day for their fans but this is surely more damaging for Derby and their, their automatic promotion hopes which after four points from uh, their last three games has has been dealt a, a, a sizable blow especially with the defeat against Barnsley.
0: At Wickham drew one with Exeter a quite entertaining fair at Adams Park very open game both teams trading shots and opportunities and ultimately sharing the points. Uh, Campbell on loan from Wolves with his first senior goal was a nice take early on but K-Mac Got another for Exeter. One all draw. And then nil-nils between Bristol Rovers and Barnsley. Big saves from Belshaw, who's back in for Balcombe. um, Kept Barnsley at bay. Hi, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Um, And Morecambe drew nil-all with Bolton. More big saves. Uh, Ripley and Trafford, both of them, um, (laughs) coming out on top there. You'd think a a good point for Morecambe, albeit it saw them drop into the relegation zone uh, after Accrington's win. In League Two, George, wow. Rochdale two, Stevenage nil. This was bottom against second. Rochdale had picked up two points from nine games before this. Now, Stevenage have only won two in their last nine. Significant. Yeah, you'd think
1: so. Yeah, for Stevenage, I mean, a a look at the XG for this one tells a story of of Stevenage creating 2.5 to Rochdale's 0.5, but it's misleading because the, the Stevenage onslaught only really came once Rochdale were 2-0 up, up, up to then Rochdale were good value for their lead and I think it's no surprise when you've got 24th playing at home to second, when they get a two-goal lead they try and sit on it. Um, you know, Stevenage missed plenty of chances and on another day probably could have got themselves back into it um, but it's it's the you know the early game performance at 0-0 rather than the onslaught that came afterwards which I think is more indicative of where Stevenage are right now. Um, so it is similar in a similar position to Sheffield United, albeit um, they were never quite as far detached but they've very quickly gone from having tight aspirations to suddenly looking around them because there are loads of teams there's loads of teams in that little um starting with Carlisle in second down um to kind of eighth or ninth teams who are in form winning games consistently and closing that gap on Stevenage every single time they play at the moment
0: like a big group of sharks aren't they that that pocket of teams. Uh, I thought that Odo's performance was significant here. Involved in both goals for Rochdale, both nice transition goals. Stevenage's defending of those transitions left a lot to be desired, but well taken first by Rodney and then uh, by Lloyd and young Ethan Brierley, who is just the the latest in. Uh, A long line now of of ball-playing midfielders coming through the Rochdale Academy. It's not an easy situation to be thrust in and and his minutes have been, well, fairly restricted at times this season, which has been frustrating to an extent. Uh, But he started the last couple, uh, looked very, very good here, looks like a very tidy player indeed. Rochdale the only team in the bottom half of League 2 that won over the weekend and Stevenage... Well, you do the math That means they're the only team in the top half to lose. A big old wobble from them in terms of the projections from Orel. Uh, that suggested a 21% drop in their automatic promotion prospects. Not just because of their own defeat, but as George mentioned, because of the on-rushing pack. Uh, as you can imagine, Dale improving their survival hopes by a fair bit. 9%, still an 84% probability per the model. Um, so they still need a few more afternoons like this. Orient drew, drew one all with Swindon, um, a, a very patched-up Swindon back line in particular, huge defensive injuries. Three of the back five were making their first league starts of the season, which is not <laughs> ideal in March. Uh, and Wakeling, who started the season playing up front for Swindon, came off the bench to play left wing back and scored the equaliser here, um, which I don't think anyone was that fussed about because Orient are just sort of vibing their way to promotion and every, everyone seems pretty calm about it um, but, but Carlisle are into second George they beat Grimsby 2-0 and what do we know about Alfie McCalmont only scores good goals <laughs> yes yeah he did it again
1: I mean it wasn't it wasn't quite as much of a, a you know screamer as we're used to seeing from him um, again Grimsby another one to chuck into the pot of a team who played a midweek uh, Grimsby had to get from Southampton to Carlisle in about 72 hours and probably drank about 72 beers in the process so um, I'm not going to begrudge begrud, and also one of those teams I have very little to play for in the league with a FA Cup quarterfinal back on the south coast to get ready for in a couple of weeks they didn't really show up did they they had about four shots in the game Carlisle eased the victory fortunate for Carlisle I guess to play Grimsby uh, on this day um, but they made the most of it and you know they are the ones now sitting in second who, in form who you know, if, if Orient have one foot in League One, um, Carlisle will be hoping they can be the second team to, to stamp a foot in there as well.
0: Dennis has been on the bench for the last three games. Joe Garner's now starting up front, which is a bit of a blow for any of us who've got Christian Dennis top goalscorer slips, who are wondering why.
1: Not for those of us who've got Andy Cook. Yeah.
0: Wow. Delighted for you. Um, <laughs> but I thought most notable here was Jordan Gibson filling in at right wing-back uh, and doing very well. Um, and, and I think this is what happens when you have such a settled team, uh, such a strong sense of identity uh, c- that comes from the manager and the coaches. You know, people fill in to play in different positions, and they have clarity uh, as to how they're expected to play and how they're expected to perform. Um, good day for Carlisle. Good day for Northampton. Great goal for Northampton. Um, a, a frac. Unbelievable. A goal. F- fractious affair, George, because Northampton went down to ten at nil nil, having had comfortably the better of the game. But not getting the goal that their fans craved, uh, and then McGowan. I mean, it's hard to see from the from the main camera. I'd say I think there's a chance there's a little knee in the back of the leg. That's that's it. Just a little one. Think think John Terry, uh, Champions League semi final against Barcelona 2012, but like not as bad. Um, I would also say I think the linesman probably has a better view than than we have from camera one. But either way. Fairly embarrassing number of rolls from Jack Rolls. Um, McGowan was sent off, and you thought, "Hmm, that could be damaging." But Jack Jack Sowerby, George, he watched Pinnock, he watched Guthrie, he watched a pair missing chances, and he went, "You know what? I'll do it myself."
1: Such a good hit, uh, an unbelievable strike. Probably, yeah, got one of the goals of the season. If we were to do a list now of the the goal of the season so far, uh, it would be on there all the more. You know, As you mentioned for the red card uh, incident, we can't see from our angle, but there's no denying that every single home fan at Sixfields would have believed that they were incredibly harshly treated with the red card. So that to then go up the other end, score a worldie to win the game 1-0. Yeah, and if you go back and you look at the tweet that um, Northampton put out after the final list of that game, you'll see how they felt about it. So um, yeah, they're in that clutch of teams. It's a big three points. It certainly would have been a really disappointing game to to drop points and especially because they were the better side by miles Crawley though Mm. Crawley are destined for the National League, aren't
0: they really? Well, that's point? interesting. I, I, because I was going to bring in the Hartlepool draw at Tranmere and and bunch those two together, George, and ask, and basically ask you that because, well, firstly, Tranmere won, Hartlepool won. I end up feeling a bit bad for Hartlepool. They scored a great goal, Kemp threw to Cook with a good finish. They then conceded a penalty, which to me looked like the infringement was outside the box, so a little harshly done by. And then <laughs> Dan Kemp, the werewolf of League Two. Per George Ellick, the, the the greatest player in League Two history post the ninetieth minute, had a golden opportunity in injury time and headed wide. So I don't know whether the full moon wasn't the moon wasn't in its right state or something, but he was not Dan Kemp the werewolf, uh, and that was quite damaging. But George, I mean, I think it's quite tough to work out sitting here right now who will go down between Hartleypool and Crawley, and it seems clear that one of the two will. depending on how Rochdale pick up, maybe both of them.
1: Hold on. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, both of them has got to be a fairly big runner as well.
0: Well, yeah, Dale have got a big old gap to make up. Mm. But because Crawley have played four games fewer than Hartlepool, it does obfuscate things somewhat. Like, I can't quite work out you know, obviously they've lost. What is it, five in a row? So you just think, well, those games don't really matter. They just lose them. But they are at the very least an opportunity to pick up points, which Hartlepool don't have in four games. Yeah, I
1: mean, they're they're um, in their next five games. Crawley have got Harrogate at home and Rochdale at home. Um, so you'd think those are probably going to play a fairly big part in their in their destiny. Um because yeah, games in hand matter for very little when you're picking up naught point naught naught PPG in the in the form table. Uh as I've said, I I think we've seen some kind of promise from Crawley from an attacking sense since Scott Lindsay came in, but defensively they are just terrible. Like they are conceding so many chances in games um throughout games as well. So it's really hard to be positive over about Crawley at the moment. Um a project that you know, made a lot of headlines for the wrong reasons when uh, it started at the beginning of the season. Looks like it might end in relegation. And I just really hope, I really, really hope, and, you know, we had Preston Johnson on the podcast early in the season. If it does come to that, just, I really hope that they are um, going to make sure that the club is in safe hands going forward, whether that is with them, as they bid to bounce back into League Two. Or just ensuring that this isn't the start of of something much, much worse because there's a massive responsibility that comes with owning a football club and um, relegation, when you have promotion aspirations, does not change that. Yes, running a football club is maybe harder than they thought, um, but don't let that impact the uh, well-being and safeguarding of of Crawley Town.
0: The playoff battle in League 2 is going to be serious fun, George, partly because that chunk of teams... They've all got their eyes on second and third spot. I'm talking Bradford, who beat Colchester 2-0. I'm talking Salford, who beat Newport 3-1. I'm talking Mansfield, who beat Wimbledon 3-1. Uh, which of those do you want to go with first?
1: I think Mansfield, probably. Um, who it was that that performance and result against Salford is such a strange one now because when you take it out, their form is is so strong and so good that you know, if you're happy to draw a line through that, with them currently sitting in eighth, but with games in hand on pretty much every team above them, apart from Bradford, you know, the relentless winning nature that they've shown should have them in the mix for the top three. And this was another occasion where, having gone behind one nil, they were just dominant and they 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 bossed the game from one nil down. Um, Harbottle getting the goal to bring them back into it, but in general, just a you know against an AFC Wimbledon side who don't concede that many goals. Um, They were able to, I mean, the Danny Johnson goal was obviously quite a strange little scuffed finish into the bottom corner. Davis Keeler done continuing his really good form. Just a lot of attacking players in good form going into pretty much every game um, with a clear, you know, form line going through their recent games under Nigel Clough that suggests that they're not going to fear anybody. So um, I would say this is significant because it, it signified a resilience that we haven't necessarily always seen from Mansfield. And if you take out, as I say, you take out the Salford result, then their recent form is a 2-0 win over in-form Gillingham, a 4-0 win away at, at Carlisle, who are second, a 2-0 win at Tranmere, and a 3-1 win at AFC Wimbledon. That is mega. Um, and it'll be hard to stop if they continue that.
0: If you saw a horse with that form line, just ahead of the Cheltenham Festival, you'd be getting pretty excited, wouldn't you?
1: Mm, I would. Mm.
0: Davis Keylor done. I have to, every now and again... I have to sing his name to "Janie's Got a Gun" by Aerosmith Harris- <laughs> because I I think of it every single time. Uh, he scored three goals in three games, uh, a really nice take for the third here. Uh, got two assists in the game before the goal-scoring streak as well. So good pick up in January. Mansfield missing seven or eight like first-team players here, so just shows how strong a squad that they've got. Um, a big big win. I should just mention that Ali Alhamadi has got five in four for Wimbledon, uh, and I've. Uh, seen them a couple of times since he joined i mean his physical attributes really stand out when you watch him live absolutely rapid but strong as well good upper body strength um and and getting on the end of chances and finishing them as well Uh, last word goes to danny johnson who with a, a very clever humorous goal celebration where he finished off his goal and he started doing up his shoelace straight away and that was a nice nod to the mansfield fans george because when they beat Bradford not long ago, uh, and it wasn't long after Danny Johnson had been whipped back from Walsall, where, by all accounts, he was very happy and not very happy to be back at Mansfield. Uh, Danny Johnson, as everyone piled into the corner to celebrate a huge goal against Bradford, uh, was like 50 yards away just doing his shoelaces up, looking like he wanted to be Anywhere else in the world and copped a, bit of, copped a bit of flack for that. So did his shoelaces having scored a big goal against Wimbledon. Another 3-1 win was Salford, George against Newport. I really liked this from Neil Wood. And this is a first-half sub that he made. They went one they went little down to Newport. And I haven't watched the full first-half hour, so I don't know exactly what Come Richard on, Narte, the centre-back, did. I do know that he didn't get very close to the um, Newport attacker who scored the goal. And maybe that was enough for Neil Wood because he pulled off Narte. He brought on Conor McElhenney, an attacker. He moved Bolton from right wing to right back. He, re- he moved Jason Lowe from right back to centre back and he stuck McElhenney uh, in the forward line. Uh, McElhenney then scored, I think, the second goal. Really sexy assist from Callum Hendry, who got a goal and an assist here. I think Callum Hendry getting confident is pretty bad news for the rest of the league because he's doing a lot in the first part of the season, but couldn't finish his dinner, and now he's well, he's got a clean plate at the moment. Uh, got a couple of goals recently. Um, big big win for Salford and George Bradford to Colchester nil. Well, this was almost classic Bradford, right? You know how every set of fans has got that thing where they're like, ah, oh, that's typical us. You know, we'll 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 beat. We'll beat top of the league away from home, but then we'll lose to the team in the relegation zone at home. You're saying
1: we're going to score from a corner. Have you seen us?
0: (laughs) We never score from a corner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I do actually think if there's one team in league two where I, I probably believe that the typical team name thing is actually true. Like Bradford have been really bad at home in games that they're expected to win this season. Um, at home to teams in the bottom half particularly that defeat to uh, to Rochdale recently and this game kind of looked like it might be it might have been heading into the same uh, direction very very poor first half of Bradford over 20,000 fans packed into Valley Parade which is obscene for a fourth tier football match uh, and shows why we have the best pyramid system in the world um, but one thing's more powerful than any weird typical Bradford curse George and that's Andy Cook who made it six goals in seven games, uh, heading home in injury time and then setting up Banks to settle it right at the end. Uh, A big 2-0 win for Bradford in front of all of those fans who I dare say many of them will be back again for the next game. Uh, As for Colu, they've hired Ben Garner. I'm interested to know what you make of going from Matt Bloomfield to Ben Garner. They certainly followed the external appointment route, which I'm sure their fans will be pleased about.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly a good thing. I'm pretty positive about it, personally. I think he did a, an incredible job at Swindon last season um, in terms of building, well, just turning a, a group of players thrown together last minute into a cohesive unit, not just a winning football team, but also one with a clear playing identity. I don't think he did that badly at Charlton. I think Charlton are currently a far worse side now than they were under Ben Garner. Um, you know, I know you mentioned the um, difficult fixtures they've had recently, but the performance levels are, are really poor. You know, if you take out the the good performance at Peterborough, um, you know, again against Argyle, you know, you spoke about the game, but I was amazed again by how um, easily Argyle were, were able to to cut through them and how many chances they conceded. Um, so I, I think you could, you know, whilst Garner's Charlton will go down as a failure. I may be looking at it a little bit more sympathetically and, and it certainly wasn't a success, but I'm not going to mark him down too much for that. Um, and a lot of Charlton fans, whilst some very much you know don't like him, a lot felt like he was slightly hung out to dry with the squad that, that he was given. Um, where, yeah, I mean, whether or not he he is going to be able to, to work his magic this season, I'm not sure. There's quite a clear... Shift in terms of playing style and in terms of the players that he's going to have at his disposal. I think we saw in January that he'll probably be supported in the market and I would probably expect to see loads of technically gifted players coming into the club and I anticipate that he will make them a good side next season and I'd be very, very surprised if we're talking about Colchester being a side threatened by relegation again. So, yeah, positive one for me.
0: Well, I'd like to be positive about Barrow one more time. George, because they went to Walsall and won 1-0, Barrow's defensive displays over the last few weeks have been nothing short of incredible. They've only conceded a penalty in their last four games. Uh, You can stretch it out over, over six games. I think it's two conceded or maybe three in their last six games. And you look at the shot maps from the opposition, you look at the underlying numbers. It's no fluke whatsoever. It's not like they've just got a bit lucky thanks to some poor finishing or some amazing goalkeeping. Um. Don't get me wrong, Farman was good in goal for Barrow here, but generally they've just managed to set up this force field around their goal, around the, the central areas of their penalty box, and it's so impressive. And they are bouncing back super hard and uh, and will now feel like they've got a little sniff at the playoffs, which is quite exciting. Uh, I don't think it's all down to Sam McClelland, by the way, but if I was him, the Chelsea loney defender, I'd probably think that I was the best player in the league because he started the first... I don't know off the top of my head, 10 games of the season. You might remember Barrow were brilliant and towards the top of the league in the first 10 games of the season. And then he picked up an injury that made him miss, I don't know, 15 to 20 games, uh, during which time Barrow just slid all the way down the table into the bottom half. Uh, And since he's come back, well, guess what? Keeping clean sheets again, moving back into the top 10. So Sam McLennan must think he's like Superman or something like that. Uh, What else? We had uh, a happy 125th birthday, Sutton United they celebrate it uh, in League 2 of course they'd never been higher than the National League until just a couple of years ago um, they enjoyed a one all draw with Crew Alex well I don't think they enjoyed it that much they, they were below their best uh, and, and arguably only got level thanks to a Rod McDonald red card which was a nice bit of Kung Fu fighting from Rod McDonald there um, good point for Crew uh, and 2 0 nil nils. Harrogate nil, Gillingham nil. Eight shots on target for Harrogate. So Glenn Morris in the Gillingham goal, uh, getting a lot of plaudits and understandably so. You could probably say the same for Jonathan Mitchell of Doncaster, who made some smart saves to keep Stockport at bay. That one finishing nil-nil as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast each week. We love telling you about the EFL weekend and we hope that you enjoy hearing about it. If you do, please share the pod. Uh, you could also leave us a, a review on iTunes. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Uh, and do support our nascent youtube channel uh, head to youtube search for not the top 20 we're putting up like at least three videos a week on there at the moment and, and we think that they're you know interesting to watch interesting to listen to and something a little bit different from what we offer on the pod so please do get over there uh, thanks very much and, and join us again on thursday for the betting show go out.